16 minutes it is before 9 p.m. here on the Mighty Metro and uh, you tuned in uh, to our special installment coming to you from our Seapoint Studios here at the uh, public broadcaster, the SABC, out in uh, Cape Town. And uh, as I said, we're out at uh, the mining in Dubbo for much of today and yesterday. And uh, we also do know, of course, that um, many of our uh, frontline government departments uh, are at the cutting edge, uh, one might uh, add, of uh, a lot of the new technologies that leverage our existing endowments in platinum group metals and chrome, manganese, you name it. Um, and uh, a big part of this is, of course, what type of um, policy instruments might we have at our disposal to make sure that these are not only uh, or the technology and the knowledge around them are harnessed, but also how uh, these are commercialized accordingly. And uh, joining me on the line uh, to talk about these issues is the Minister of Higher Education, uh, Training, Science and Innovation, and that is uh, Dr. Blade Nzamande. Dr. Nzamande, good evening to you and welcome. Uh, good evening, Ayabonga, and good, good evening to your listeners. Thanks for the invitation. Yes, are you well? I'm fine, thanks. I'm good. And how are you? No, 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 can't complain. Can't complain. Been a long day, uh, and I certainly know it's been a long day for you as well. Uh, and yes. thank you so much uh, yeah, yeah, for coming through. I know you had a session this afternoon. Maybe that might be a good place for us to start. Talk to us about, I guess, uh, that session that you had at uh, the mining in Dub, and then we'll come back to the department's role in hydrogen South Africa? Well, the, the aim of the session uh, was actually discussing matters firstly relating to uh, commercialization uh, of uh, some of the government programs, government-supported programs. There was the Minister of Trade and Industry who was actually talking to some of that. And I was actually asked to look specifically into the role of science and innovation. Mm in support of the mining industry in particular. And the things that we are doing as the Department of Science and Innovation and uh, the thing that we are doing as government, but particularly my department. And in addition to that as well, I spoke about the issue of skills development. And for both innovation and skills development, the importance of partnership between government uh, the private sector and our universities in particular, which are very important for research on the score, mm. as we tend to use mainly our universities for purposes of research and innovation in support of the mining industry. Mm. Now, now, now uh, Dr. Nzumandi, I mean, we've, we've certainly had these minerals, and often many accounts suggest that South Africa sits on massive deposits and some of the largest deposits known, I guess, by geological surveys and the like. How much of even the stuff that is underground um, corresponds to research on its applications, before it's even mined, happening in our universities and even in our broader other institutions such as the CSIR, Mintec, and others? Well, we are doing a lot of research, you know, into, into our minerals and mining in particular, because there's a difference between minerals that are sitting underground and minerals that now are actually being mined. For instance, one of the main things I was talking about is that uh, together with the Minerals Council of South Africa, which was in the past known as the Chamber of Mines, together with the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, which is one of my entities of the Department of Science and Innovation, established what is called the Mandela Mining, some years back, the Mandela Mining Precincts, mm. whose aim is to revitalize research into mining, which means research about 
minerals that are underground, but also research relating to better mining of those minerals, uh, including development and innovation to ensure sustained, long-term sustainability of the mining industry. Through the, the, the partnership that we have around the Mandela Mining Prison, we have a strategy which is called South African Mining Extraction, Research, Development, and Innovation, SAMEDICI. Just to make it simple, the aim of that is really to use technology to improve mining. For instance, some of the things that we've done under this summit, which is our research and development institute under the Mandela Mining Precinct, is partnerships, as I have said, with universities in order to promote research and development. We have also been able to, to support researchers, mainly that are attached to universities, but also in the private sector, to actually do more research uh, into this. But I must then also say that our research has also been extending to beneficiation, which is one of the long-term goals mm. that South Africa has actually long set. Unfortunately, we are not doing as much as we should, not because there is no research on this score, but it's the question of investment into beneficiation industry. We have, although, already started to do The one area is that of the hydrogen economy. Mm. Hydrogen, actually, in order to produce it, requires your platinum group of, 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 of minerals, and we have the single largest deposit of platinum reserves in the world in order to be able to produce what we call hydrogen fuel cell that are actually able now to provide alternative energy. Of course, you, you know that uh, last week, there was a launch by Anglo-American of a big truck, the first of its kind, that is actually using not petrol, not diesel, but hydrogen fuel cells. This is a direct result of this research that is actually being led by our department. We are working with, amongst others, uh, Anglo-American. So that is actually part of what one could call a beneficiation. But that is not the only thing that we are actually dealing with in, in, in relation to, to beneficiation. We are also having a program which we call Advanced Materials and Manufacturing Programs, which actually aims to establish new industries. For instance, uh, one of the, the future, let me put it this way, the future of, of some of the alternative energy, like electric vehicles, for instance, is going to be lithium. So we are doing a lot of research on lithium and actually technology to develop batteries uh, out of lithium that in future are actually likely to power as alternative energy, not only motor vehicles, but industry, as well as many other uh, drive many other economic uh, activities. So that is another area in which we are actually doing uh, a lot of work in terms of what has, are called iron batteries. The other initiative that we have in terms of research, you know that, you may know that South Africa, for instance, has got 300 years worth of coal reserves. But at the same time now, coal is being phased out globally and even less support for mining of coal because it's dirty and because of its carbon emissions. 
One of the things that we are actually doing is try to capture the emissions from the coal power station such that then we don't allow it to go out into the air to try and prevent uh, the, the carbon emissions, but convert, once you capture that, you convert that carbon emission into manure for agriculture, but some of it actually becomes part of what we call green hydrogen, which is the foundation for alternative sources uh, of energy. That's another work that we're actually doing on, on, on that scope. Not so these are the things that we yeah. were sharing yeah. on the science side that we are doing to actually support the mining industry. Yeah. Dr. Nzimande, I mean, I'm quite interested uh, because you touched earlier on, uh, just when you're prefacing your remarks about some of these interventions, on also the importance you're placing alongside some of your counterparts and other ministries on commercialization of these things. Now, many people who listen yes. to us might be asking, what are the distributional consequences of that? So who if indeed these things are commercialized benefits. And there's often this impression out there that it's because of the capital intensity and knowledge or energy intensity, that it's people with deep pockets, very big balance sheets. What scope is there for workers, for women, for young people, for communities alongside these operations to be part of these new value chains? Yeah, you are asking a very important question. And, and that is why government is embarking upon what we call a just transition. The president has set up the Presidential Climate Commission, by the way, which held a conference last week to actually look at what we call a just transition. In other words, if in future we were to shut down coal, uh, well, coal-powered fire, uh, power stations by ESCOM, what mm. do we replace that with such that we actually do not lose jobs? So the whole idea of a just transition involving everybody is to ensure that we make marks with a transition, first of all, that is not rushed, but a transition also that takes into account the creation of new jobs so that we are able to absorb people into new jobs. Indeed, there is a very real danger with technology, you know, that mm -hmm. it will actually destroy jobs. But the challenge is, where else then with the new technologies can we be able to create jobs? One of the most critical things then relates also to my own ministry, which is skills development. Because you will actually need to retool some of the workers so that they acquire new skills for the new industry. So the issue then of skills development becomes a very important partner for innovation, which is why the president, by the way, decided in 2019, after the elections, to combine the Department of Science and Innovation and the mm. Department of Higher Education and Training under one minister, because these two things are twins. That is innovation and skilling in order to try and prevent job losses. We're also doing a lot of other work. For example, there is a ministerial task team report, which I will be releasing shortly, which was precisely looking into this question, Ayabe. What are the implications of the fourth industrial revolution for our post-school education and training? What are the implications for the curriculum, the things we teach in our universities, the things we actually teach in our TVET colleges? Because it's all part of preparing for this reality that we minimize the, impact, the negative impact of technology such that it actually leads to job losses. But I don't want to lie. It's a huge challenge. It's even, by the way, a huge challenge for trade unions. How yeah. do you organize in an increasingly technological world 
mm. where workers are no longer as concentrated in massive factories as used to be the case yeah, before, yeah. but they are dispersed and they require different and new methods of organization. That is why the president is leading what he's, he's calling uh, an inclusive development mm. effort so that we involve as many stakeholders as possible so that as yeah. a country we are able to say, how do we transition but in a just mm. manner such that we don't throw even more people out of choice sure, when you sure. already have these very high levels of unemployment. Mm. Dr. Nzimande, let me be a bit mischievous in my last question to you. Unfortunately, we yes. have run out of time. But a lot of people have been talking about exactly what you, you're speaking to, which are who underwrites the transitional costs? So you make the example in, in the mining sector and you know in the trade union sector. But there would also be other industries who, by the scale of and uh, the character of their operations, will be excluded from these new areas. I mean, I think of EVs, how many auto component players are effectively you know, shouldered out of that marketplace. How do we think about underwriting the costs of the transition? And let me be mischievous in saying this. How, what role does a Sassol, for instance, play in that? Sassol makes fuel from coal, but yet the prices that are charged for some of that fuel are what you would find in the region of what Saudi Arabia and other places, you know, who refine the coal, uh, the oil, you know, sell it to us at. Should we not be thinking of windfall taxes that can finance the underwriting of, you know, this transition to green things and facilitate, you know, people's access to skills and all of the things that they need in order to continue to participate? Yeah, I have one. There's a very important issue that you are raising. There has been a very strong argument, for instance, just to start with Sasso, that 40% of our petrol, by the way, comes from Sasso, mm. which means it's domestic. We are not importing it. But the amount of petrol we pay is exactly the same as what we pay per liter of the, of the, of the oil that we actually import from abroad. There has been this argument at some stage. After 1994, government had accepted the reality that what we'd have to do is to actually have a windfall tax because Sassol mm. was making obscene profits so that you would tax Sassol for charging us as if it's foreign oil and then redirect that money to actually subsidize petrol inside the country such that it becomes cheaper. In other words, we get benefit for this 40%. I think that question still continues to be a very relevant question and a relevant issue. But there's a broader question, you know. Who pays the cost for technology? That is part of the battle that we are facing now, that it can't be the workers and the poor who actually bear the brunt of technology whilst those who are rich actually make the fit. Unfortunately, that's one of the challenges we face. Take COVID-19, for instance. Look at your mobile operators. They make mm. billions of friends and profits because of Zoom. People are mm. working from home. Mm. They are connecting. Jeez. They have made huge profits. Some of these big technology companies, out of COVID-19, they made a lot of money. Mm. And the workers in the main are the ones who have actually been losing jobs as a result of this. So the president and government is saying, let's try and find consensus. For instance, that is why this matter of a just transition, the issues of technology, the mm-hmm. issues of economic mm-hmm. reconstruction sure. are at netlet so that the social partners are actually able to mm-hmm. engage each other. But also, even in my own department, in doing our own research, we can't just be doing dry technology. We also look, have to look at what are the social implications 
of the technologies that are developing now in order to try and minimize the question of job losses. So that it's not the workers and the poor who pay the price for for technological advance. Dr. Nzimande, we have unfortunately run out of time. We're going to have to leave it here for tonight. Thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us. And uh, yeah, uh, all of the best, I guess, as you try and navigate this uh, new environment, green hydrogen, green ammonia, and all of those things. And uh, yeah, thanks very much, Ayabong. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you very much. Dr. Bladen Zamande, they're speaking to us, uh, the uh, Minister of Higher Education and Training, Science and Innovation, uh, speaking to us this evening here on the Mighty Metro. You have yourself a great evening. Take strength, my Africa. Still at the mining in Dabana, the economy.